Chapter three of How to Camp Out. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sarah Jennings. How to Camp Out by John M. Gould. Chapter three. Large party traveling afoot with baggage wagon. With a horse and wagon to haul your baggage, you can of course carry more. First of all, take another blanket or two, a light overcoat, more spare clothing, an axe, and try to have a larger tent than the shelter. If the body of the wagon has high sides, it will not be a very difficult task to make a cloth cover that will shed water, and you will then have what is almost as good as a tent. You can also put things under the wagon. You must have a cover of some sort for your wagon load while on the march, to prevent injury from showers that overtake you, and to keep out dust and mud. A tent fly will answer for this purpose. You want also to carry a few carriage bolts, some nails, tacks, straps, a hand saw, and axle wrench or monkey wrench. I have always found use for a sail needle and twine, and I carry them now even when I go for a few days, and carry all on my person. The first drawback that appears when you begin to plan for a horse and wagon is the expense. You could overcome this in part by adding members to your company, but then you meet what is perhaps a still more serious difficulty, the management of a large party. Another inconvenience of large numbers is that each member must limit his baggage. You are apt to accumulate too great bulk for the wagon rather than too great weight for the horse. Where there are many there must be a captain someone that the others are responsible to, and who commands their respect. It is necessary that those who join such a party should understand that they ought to yield to him, whether they like it or not. The captain should always consult the wishes of the others, and should never let selfish considerations influence him. Every day his decisions as to what the party shall do will tend to make someone dissatisfied, although it is the duty of the dissatisfied ones to yield, Yet, since submission to another's will is so hard, the captain must try to prevent any feeling, and above all to avoid even the appearance of tyranny. System and order become quite essential as our numbers increase, and it is well to have the members take daily turns at the several duties, and during that day the captain must hold each man to a strict performance of his special trust and allow no shirking. After a few days some of the parties will show a willingness to accept particular burdens all of the time, and if these burdens are the more disagreeable ones, the captain will do well to make the detail permanent. Nothing tends to make ill-feeling more than having to do another's work, and where there are many in a party, each one is apt to leave something for others to do. The captain must be on the watch for these things, and try to prevent them. It is well for him, and for all, to know that he who has been a good fellow and genial companion at home may prove quite otherwise during a tour of camping. Besides this, it is hardly possible for a dozen young men to be gone a fortnight on a trip of this kind without some quarrelling, and as this mars the sport so much, all should be careful not to give or take offence. If you are starting out on your first tour, keep this fact constantly in mind. Perhaps I can illustrate this division of labour. We will suppose a party of twelve with one horse and an open wagon, four tents, a stove, and other baggage. First number the party, and assign to each the duties for the first day. 1. Captain. Care of horse and wagon. Loading and unloading wagon. 
2. Jack, loading and unloading wagon. 3. Joe, captain's assistant and errand boy, currying horse. 4. Mr. Smith, cooking and purchasing. 5. Sam, wood, water, fire, setting of table. 6. Tom, wood, water, fire, setting of table. 7. Mr. Jones. 8. Henry. 9. Bob. 10. Senior. 11. William. 12. Jake. The party is thus arranged in four squads of three men each, the oldest at the heads. One half of the party is actively engaged for today, while the other half has little to do of a general nature, except that all must take turns in leading the horse and marching behind the wagon. It is essential that this be done, and it is best that only the stronger members lead the horse. Tomorrow, number seven takes number one's place, number eight takes number two's, and so on, and the first six have their semi-holiday. In a few days, each man will have shown a special willingness for some duty, which by common consent and the captain's approval he is permitted to take. The party is then reorganized as follows. 1. Captain. General oversight, provider of food and provender. 2. Jack. Washing and the care of dishes. 3. Joe. Worthless. 4. Mr. Smith. Getting breakfast daily and doing all of the cooking on Sunday. 5. Sam. Gone home, sick of camping. 6. Tom. Wood, water, fire, setting and clearing the table. 7. Mr. Jones. Getting supper all alone. 8. Henry. Jack's partner, care of food. 9. Bob. Currying horse, oiling axles, care of harness and wagon. 10. Senior. Packing wagon, marching behind. 11. William. Packing wagon, marching behind. 12. Jake. Running errands. The daily detail for leading the horse will have to be made, as before, from the stronger members of the party, and if any special duty arises it must still be done by volunteering or by the captain's suggestion. In this arrangement there is nothing to prevent one member from aiding another. In fact, where all are employed, a better feeling prevails, and the work being done more quickly there is more time for rest and enjoyment. To get a horse will perhaps tax your judgment and capability as much as anything in all your preparation. And on this point, where you need so much good advice, I can only give you that of a general nature. The time for camping out is when horses are in greatest demand for farming purposes, and you will find it difficult to hire of anyone except livery stable men whose charges are so high that you cannot afford to deal with them. You will have to hunt a long time and in many places before you will find your animal. It is not prudent to take a valuable horse, and I advise you not to do so unless the owner or a man thoroughly acquainted with horses is in the party. You may perhaps be able to hire horse, wagon, and driver, but a hired man is an objectionable feature, for besides the expense, such a man is usually disagreeable company. My own experience is that it is cheaper to buy a horse outright and to hire a harness and wagon, and since I am not a judge of horse flesh, I get some friend who is to go with me and advise. I find that I can almost always buy a horse, even when I cannot hire. Twenty to fifty dollars will bring as good an animal as I need. He may be old, broken down, spavined, wind-broken, or lame, but if he is not sickly, or if his lameness is not from recent injury, 
it is not hard for him to haul a fair load of ten or fifteen miles a day when he is helped over the hard places so now if you pay fifty dollars for a horse you can expect to sell him for about twenty or twenty-five dollars unless you were greatly cheated or have abused your brute while on the trip both of which errors you must be careful to avoid it is a simple matter of arithmetic to calculate what is best for you to do but I hope on this horse question you may have the benefit of advice from someone who has had experience with the ways of the world. You will need it very much. Wagons If you have the choice of wagons, take one that is made for carrying light, bulky goods, for your baggage will be of that order. One with a large body and high sides, or a covered wagon, will answer. In districts where the roads are mountainous, rough, and rocky, Wagons hung on thoroughbraces appear to suit the people best. But you will have no serious difficulty with good steel springs if you put in rubber bumpers, and also strap the body to the axles, thus preventing the violent shutting and opening of the springs. For you must bear in mind that the main leaf of a steel spring is apt to break by the sudden pitching upward of the wagon body. It has been my fortune twice to have to carry large loads in small low-sided wagons, and it proved very convenient to have two or three half-barrels to keep food and small articles in, and to roll the bedding in rolls three or four feet wide, which were packed in the wagon upon their ends. The private baggage was carried in meal-bags, and the tents in bags made expressly to hold them. We could thus load the wagons securely with but little tying. For wagons with small and low bodies it would be well to put a light rail fourteen to eighteen inches above the sides, and hold it there by six or eight posts resting on the floor, and confined to the sides of the body. Drive carefully and slowly over bad places. It makes a great deal of difference whether a wheel strikes a rock with the horse going at a trot or at a walk. Harness If your load is heavy, and the roads very hard, or the daily distance long, you had better have a collar for the horse. Otherwise a breastplate harness will do. In your kit of tools it is well to have a few straps, an awl, and waxed ends against the time that something breaks. Oil the harness before you start, and carry a pint of neat's foot oil, which you can also use upon the men's boots. At night look out that the harness and all of your baggage are sheltered from dew and rain, rats and mice. Advantages and Disadvantages of this Mode of Travel this way of travelling is peculiarly adapted to a party of different ages, rather than for one exclusively of young men. It is especially suitable where there are ladies who wish to walk and camp, or for an entire family, or for a school with its teachers. The necessity of a head to a party will hardly be recognised by young men, and even if it is, they are still unwilling, as a general rule, to submit to unaccustomed restraint. The way out of this difficulty is for one man to invite his comrades to join his party, and to make all the others understand, from first to last, that they are indebted to him for the privilege of going. It is then somewhat natural for the invited guests to look to their leader, and to be content with his decisions. The best of men get into foolish dissensions when off on a jaunt, unless there is one whose voice has authority in it, to direct the movements. I knew a party of twenty or more that travelled in this way, and were directed by a trio composed of two gentlemen and one lady. This arrangement proved satisfactory to all concerned. It has been assumed in all cases that someone will lead the horse, 
not ride in the loaded wagon, and that two others will go behind and not far off to help the horse over the very difficult places, as well as to have an eye on the load, that none of it is lost off, or scrapes against the wheels. Whoever leads must be careful not to fall under the horse or wagon, nor to fall under the horse's feet should he stumble. These are daily and hourly risks, hence no small boy should take this duty. End of chapter 3